welcome back to the, uh, what is this called? Tales of Faith podcast. We are on, this is episode 215, so the 15th Sunday of the second cycle, second year of the Narrative Lectionary. I'm your host, Aaron, and this is Louise. Hey! And we are excited and ready to talk about Ezra, except for we're not talking about Ezra at all. It's just from the book of Ezra, which is fun. But <laughs> um, but uh, just to, for clarity, it is the season of Advent, and so we've got lots of fun things going on. But one of those things is not uh, actually preaching from this text uh, or even using this text in worship. Yeah. So we're talking about it for, for y'all. Uh, but just to recognize that our stakes are pretty pretty low on it, so. Yeah. <laughs> but this is that's our fun. third episode. This is our third episode, absolutely. Um, so we are in the book of Ezra, which um, I alluded to. Um, uh, we don't actually have Ezra in this particular section, um, so I'll just kind of give an overview of that. Ezra, Nehemiah. Um, it was one, it's actually part of one scroll in the Hebrew scriptures, which is an interesting thing uh, because there's some some sort of parallels and some architecture that they share. Um, and then the other thing is it, it is not part of the law, the Torah section, which in the, the Jewish uh, separation of there's, there's Torah, uh, Tanakh, uh, Nevi'im, which is prophets, and then Ketuvim, which is writings. Um, law is what we would call law, but also all sort of the historical stuff. Um, Ezra Nehemiah is actually part of the Ketuvim. It's it's part of the the writings, which is an interesting thing. So there's the there's a narrative of that law section, and it actually ends in exile, um, which. Yeah, is an is very interesting actually. I was just listening to a great interview about some some of that. But anyways, um, so just to know that that's kind of the context, and it's the what we have as two books um, in the Christian sort of ordering. It is at the end of the historical sort of texts. So we have First um, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And then Ezra and Nehemiah as a sort of continuation of that story. Um, but there are three basic uh, movements with those three, and each of them have three um, sort of movements within those. So the first section is around Zerubbabel, which we'll be hearing about today a little bit. Um, the second section, uh, Zerubbabel restores uh, the temple or the, the beginnings of the temple and temple worship. The second section is Ezra, who restores the uh, Torah, sort of like teaching of the law, that sort of stuff. And then we have Nehemiah, who restores the wall around Jerusalem. So it's this sort of uh, three-stage, we're getting back from exile. Uh, Zerubbabel starts about 50 years after the exile started. Um, my apologize, my apologies to my lack of information last week about how long the exile lasted. Um, it didn't quite last 70 years. Um, so this sort of 
Zerubbabel, we're talking about kind of the first wave of people to go back to to Jerusalem. Um, and then it's sort of the restoration of things back. The three movements in each of those is there sort of a proclamation. And I think we have basically all three of them here. Uh, you have the proclamation from whatever the emperor is. In, in this case, it's Cyrus, who we talked about last week. And then the other ones, it's... Uh, his name is escaping me. It's a it's a real fun name. Um, then there's this sort of, okay, we're going to go back. We're going to redo the thing. But then there's sort of a surprise and kind of troubling ending as well. Um, sort of things don't quite work out the way that they're intending. So that's kind of the overall flow. And we'll definitely see that today. Questions, comments? Is that all? I think that's clear as mud until we get into the actual text. Nice. So, okay. I'm not even sure what scripture number we're starting on. So. Oh, sorry. So the uh, scripture reference we have for this week is Ezra chapter 1, 1 through 4. And then we're skipping ahead to chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 4, and then 10 to 13. Okay. So we could probably take each of those in, in turn because they're... Good chunks. Do you want to read or do you want me to read? I can read this first chunk, okay. one to four. <laughs> All right. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in the order that the word in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom, and also in a written edict declared. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judea. Any, I'm sorry, in Judah. And any of, any of those among you who are of his people, may their God be with them, are now permitted to go up to, to Jerusalem in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord. The God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let all survivors in whatever place they reside be assisted by the people of their place with silver and gold, with goods and with animals, besides free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. All right. Um, so this is that edict bit. We have King Cyrus of Persia, which we talked about last week who um, who really the switch over from Babylon to Persia is a pretty major shift in the way that they're operating as empires. This Persian empire is much more, we would say, probably liberal, where they're saying, hey, yeah, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to believe, it's cool, just pay your taxes. Like, we, we can all kind of get along. Whereas Babylon was much more... Um, uh, wanting a uniformity um, and sort of a, a common culture. Um, so, so the Persian Empire has now sort of subsumed the Babylonian Empire, and there this there's this people group, and he's saying, "Go on back to your land. It's fine. Go ahead and rebuild." Um, so that's kind of the the big picture thing. But you notice that this. Um, the telling of this 
there, there's really interesting ways that Cyrus is is talking about this. Uh, first of all, this is sort of a quote as as an edict, but he's using the divine name of God. He's yeah, using Adonai. Here. Yeah. So Adonai, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. So it's it's a really interesting blending and combination of this this theological framework that um, clearly, if Cyrus is in charge of all this stuff, the Lord God, who is in control of all things, must have given him that authority. So God, Adonai, has given Cyrus all this authority, and Cyrus is then going to sort of um, not necessarily proclaim, but allow for the worship of Adonai. So why does Cyrus do that? Why? Because, I mean, it's, why does he claim? I mean, it almost seems as if he's claiming belief in mm -hmm. God. And then he says he's been charged to build mm -hmm. a house uh, for God at Jerusalem in Judah. So what's the motive? Like, do we have any? So... Again, we know very clearly that Cyrus um, specifically, but the Persian Empire in general, had this sort of um, way of dealing with all of these different cultures within the empire to say, go ahead and do your thing. Right. So there's that. Um, and I think probably what's going on is that this is being told from a Jewish standpoint. Mm, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so Cyrus said that, that we should go back. Well, as I'm going to retell this story, this, you know, this may not be a word for word, like copy of what the edict is, right. but I'm going to tell it in a way that makes sense within our, without, within our framework. And that is, I don't know, God is in charge of everything. And so Cyrus is honoring God by allowing this to happen. Um, and, and part of it is, is last week we talked about Isaiah and sort of seeing Cyrus specifically as Messiah. He is the savior. He is the one who is allowing us to go back to our land. Um, and. But we don't have any evidence of like King Cyrus having had like a, um, no. Daniel Lyons Den incident or, right. um, you know, Shack and even Shack and Abednego or any of those kinds of things. That would cause him to actually fully believe. Sure. In there's no evidence of that kind yeah. of thing. In fact, we don't really have evidence outside of Daniel of right. th those things happening in that way. Partially, it's that this um, what these authors and editors are doing is they're sort of blending, taking these stories that we're telling about who we are and all that sort of stuff, and and. Um, Part of it is is weaving this theological sort of standpoint into it to recognize God is behind all of this. And a way to do that, to, to express that, is to put these words in Cyrus's mouth. Whether they were actually words that came out of his mouth, probably not. But there, it's a way to say very clearly, hey, guess what, everybody? Cyrus is in charge of everything. And because Cyrus is in charge... He was given that authority by God, whether he knows it or not, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of it's it's making a strong theological statement from a 
uh, historical sort of event. Um, and it's it's yeah again a very clear God is sending us back. Yeah, this is God's work that is going on. God is using the hand of Cyrus and the authority of Cyrus, um, but it's a very clear um, expectation that God is behind all of this. And it starts with rebuilding the house of God, starting with rebuilding the the, the temple, um, reestablishing worship of God in Jerusalem. And it's also supported by the, the empire, which is interesting, right? Um, they're sending gold and silver. They're sending, you know, letting people give free will offerings, whatever, you know, sort of let's, let's, let's make sure that this happens. Um, which again is, is historically, there's historical warrant for it, that this is actually something Cyrus did. Um, whether or not he directly sort of said that this was because of Adonai God, um, there's, there's at least a, some sort of respect for the local God or what he sees as the local God. So um, chapter two is a list of all the people who go back. So we're not going to read that in worship, which makes sense. There are some great pet names in here, though. Okay. Did you see anything in particular catch your eye? Uh, I really like Shahaphthala. Shahaphthala. That's, That's a, a good one. Mm. Um, Gasm. It's another uh, one I appreciate. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm, Gasm has a little bit of a... Yeah. Just, you know, if you have a goat, that's a great one. Yeah. Just and saying. not a teenager. No. Yeah. No, but there's, you know, there's a lot of good. Yeah. Zerubbabel so, is another good one. Yeah. Zerubbabel is great. So, that's um, a good cat name, I feel. Yeah. So, uh, the, the family tradition is to give animals ugly names because they're so cute. So, that's, um, and as kind of Bible theology nerds, we also, tend to bring uh, bring those from scripture and or star wars all right <laughs> so then we skip forward to chapter three one to four do you want to keep reading or not all right when the seventh month came and the israelites were in the towns the people gathered together in jerusalem then yeshua son of josadak with his fellow priests and zerubbabel son of shealtiel with his kin, set out to build the altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation, because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples, and they offered burnt offerings upon it to Adonai the Lord, morning and evening. And they kept the festival of booths as prescribed and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the ordinance as required for each day. Um, so we're seeing some of that opposition and, and it sort of plays out a little bit more that there's this, um, they're doing the thing, but there's also opposition to it. That's kind of the, the second movement that I, the bit about the second movement that I forgot to say. Um, but they're starting up worship again. They have rebuilt the um, an altar, and there's 
specific information about how they do that, doing it with unhewn stones as is, is appropriate. They're reinstituting uh, the law of Moses, um, burnt offerings. Uh, they're keeping the festival of booths, uh, which is a festival to sort of remember the time in the wilderness, um, which I, I think there's an intention there where the wilderness journey and the exile has some very clear sort of um, connections to to each other. So recognizing um, that God has been with us in all of this. Uh, Zerubbabel means um, it's something like born in exile. Um, so he's, he's very clearly this seems like someone who was born in, in exile. So who are these neighbors that they are in dread of? What's, what's that all about? Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing. It seems to be those who were left in the land when the Babylonians brought people out. So the, the Babylonian exile really was about sort of the aristocracy and the learned people, especially in the first wave. And then the second wave was also people of means, but they're, they're, they didn't bring all of the people out. You also have from the, um, from the Assyrian exile of Israel, the northern country, they actively put a bunch of other people into the land. And so there are just these people around there were sort of the other Canaanite groups, but also people who were Judahites or Israelites um, at some at some point. And so there's this really interesting um, Ezra Nehemiah, Nehemiah has this very um, xenophobic kind of thing to it where um, specifically Zerubbabel here says like the, these other people who are leftovers from, from Judah, they come to try to help. And he's like, no, you guys can't help. You're, you're not part of this thing. Um, so this sort of like separation, you also have uh, Ezra does this whole, has this whole big thing about uh, you shouldn't be worship or you shouldn't be marrying anyone who is a foreigner. Um, and then, Nehemiah has this same same sort of thing as Zerubbabel, where these other people come and try to help with the wall. And he's like, no, 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 no. We, we got it. We're, we're good. So, that, yeah, it's kind of this weird, troubling sort of um, aspect to it. So it's and it's the, that's kind of the vibe of the this scroll is this. At one time, it's a hey, look, we're restoring. Everything's coming back. But there's this. Um, kind of minor key undertone that's like but things are weird there's there's a strange some strange dynamics that are going on so these are descendants of the tribes of israel yeah that they are that were left there potentially and mm -hmm. then and so is that the they, because they were not part of the exile, they can't understand, or because they perhaps married other cultures, or perhaps they were worshiping other gods, or we, we don't know what this 
why there's this tension or this. We don't specifically. There's there's some there's some suggestion, especially the marriage thing. Um, there's this sort of idea that um, that these folks have not been following the law. Like that's part of they're coming to to come and reinstitute worship. But y'all y'all been here the whole time, and you didn't do this. You didn't rebuild a an altar. You didn't make it clean again. You didn't do all this stuff. So you kind of had your shot and you missed it. That's that may be part of it. Probably part of it is that shared experience of those who have been in, in exile. Part of what we really see there is that experience has really formed them as not a kingdom because the kingdom is gone. They're now a people. They're now a people with sort of a shared identity. They have a shared sort of story, all of those sorts of things. And a good deal of that is formed around and includes the exile. And these other folks don't really have that shared history. So that's that's probably part of it too. Um, there may be also, um, because it's not specifically, there are some, because there are these troubling things here in this scroll, and they're really not commented on all that much, there may be part of this that's sort of left out there, it's left to feel kind of weird and awkward, mm. and that's to be meditated over and figure like, hey, maybe sort of a, um, a parabolic, right? It's it's a, a parable like, I'm going to tell you this story. It's like, you know, Jonah. You read the story of Jonah and you go, this guy's a knucklehead. He does not know what he's doing. And that's kind of the point. Right. And so that may be part of what's going on here is we're going to show you this thing it, we're going to set up the situation that seems really weird for you to be uncomfortable with and for you to kind of wrestle with and figure out, well, what are, what is maybe our nationalistic sort of tendencies? What are our xenophobic tendencies? Um, and there's, that's part of the sort of ongoing conversation. And especially that makes sense a little bit more remembering that this scroll is part of the writings, the Kedavim, sort of things to be considering. Um, there are there are those who suggest that the book of Ruth was written around this same time mm. with yeah, a gonna, very was, different... That and see where that yeah, the... uh, it doesn't... Historically, the book of Ruth is set during the time of Judges, so well okay. before this. But it was probably written during this time as, and, and in part, mm. as a counter narrative to say so y'all think that we should get a divorce because we're married to foreign women um well let me tell you a story about ruth the great grandmother of david yeah you, you remember david like he's pretty important um you know that sort of this juxtaposition of this um tendency towards more nationalistic xenophobic side of things and a tendency towards a, Hey, maybe we can be a people that is, is a little bit more open to an ethnic sort of, uh, mixing. Yeah. Um, and it has shades of the, uh, well, you're not a real 
insert whatever here because you don't do it X, Y, and Z, or you weren't born into this line, or you weren't at this particular, you know. Yeah, sort of um, the elitism. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, well, we're the real Christians because we believe this. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's not, but that's yeah, the, no, that's the, the uh, parallel that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, you can't take communion in certain churches because even though you are a Christian, but you're not our kind of Christian. <laughs> you haven't been baptized in our particular way, mm -hmm. um, you know, or you have to be baptized again because the first time it didn't work because it's different than what we thought, right. than the way we think it should be done. Um, or some of our doctrinal sort of like, oh, you have to believe this particular thing about this, per yeah. you know, like you have to hold up to this standard. This is our litmus test. And if you don't live up to it, then, well, you're not really yeah. part of the group. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely that undertone to yeah, this. Yeah, or if you question something, you're not a real, again, yeah. insert oh, whatever absolutely. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. um, and the, uh, part of the question is, and, and there's debate about this, is that is this being presented in earnest? Like these guys really got it. They understood how important it was to do all this stuff and yeah those people weren't really a part of it sort of maybe a growing what eventually will become a pharisaical sort of tradition mm -hmm. um or is it being presented as sort of this um spoof or uh it's not totally a cautionary tale but there's yeah i'm i'm there's a great word for this thing that kind of tells the story and highlights sort of the negative things. It'll come to me, maybe. Yeah. So that's that's kind of part of the question of what's going on here. Um, and that, I think, gets more clear as we go on to our next section, which is 10 to 13. Do you want to read? Sure. Okay. Still in chapter 3. Still in chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. When the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph, Asaph. Asaph with cymbals according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for a steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundation, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though ma many shouted aloud for joy. So that the many, so that the people could not distinguish the sounds of joyful shout from the sounds of people weeping, for the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. So we have now the foundation of the temple, and it is simultaneously this great and wonderful, amazing thing, but it's also this great sort of, there's a great weeping from the old timers who were around who saw the original temple um 
you know, maybe there were, there were little kids at the time. Um, and so again, there's this sort of juxtaposition of you did a good thing, but also it's not so good. And this is really that kind of weird twist ending, like, yeah, wait, what's going on now? Um, yeah. And it's interesting because I see, I can see it being for so many different reasons. Like we're weeping because it's new and we don't like it because it's different where we could be weeping because it's new, but they didn't do it right. Um, we could be weeping because we didn't get to be a part of it. And we want so badly to have been a part of it, but we were excluded. Um, it could be even just a weeping for the, the things that were lost that have now been restored, but that, that, um, that hole in that loss is still there. Mm -hmm. There's know? still grief. Like, yeah. The, the grief that, that just is not, um, healed yet, you know, much like after we, we've talked a couple of times about that, like the COVID malaise, like after we, after, you know, it was okay to start going back out and doing things and there's just no drive, no energy to do things because we were still so caught in the grief of not being able to do anything mm -hmm. um that then we couldn't do anything we were still paralyzed in that um and that in trying to get the energy up to do something new and different um so yeah i mean i see that i see that those any of those could be mm -hmm. a reason and any of those speaks to us today um yeah this whole you know can tell us i think you could take it in any direction mm -hmm. and there's a good yeah there's lots of lots of places there. you can go with this yeah but, and a lot of them uh would be a tough sermon to to give and you might get in lots of trouble yeah <laughs> um yeah because there's definitely i'd certainly see some parallels with kind of old school news school which we as Presbyterians, we literally coined that particular phrase. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, I think another sort of nuance on this may be this looking back and especially, I mean, because we're talking 50 years after the exile. So the people who would have seen the temple in its, when it was complete or it was, it was there, were kids and they're now looking back through 50 years of history whether they had been in exile or whether they had been in the land could possibly they be seeing things in a slightly different sort of rose rose colored yeah. glasses um you know not dissimilar to the way that we look back now at the 1950s and 60s and 70s and how great it was in our churches and how full it was and how many people were in our sunday schools and and how great it was for everybody who was white and um you know all of those sorts of things but how often are those views actually how it was versus sort of our memories of them and how you know remembering all the good stuff um the one of the best lines from a play i've yes. ever done 
was um, from Sweat, the uh, nostalgia is a disease. That whole section in that play um, really speaks to that, that we, we, we can't look, we can't look back and see the bad. We always look back and just see the good. Um, and that when we look back with those, with those rose colored glasses and that nostalgia, um, what we're seeing is not real. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not the way it actually was, even if it was maybe that way for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it paralyzes us because we can't move forward. Um, right. And we should always be called to move forward to, to be better, to do better, to try more harder to, um, to be working more forward towards that kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Um, not just moving forward to move forward, but, mm -hmm. um, to be moving more closely to that kingdom of God that we are called to establish or to work towards establishing. Um, and, and that seems definitely to be uh, the case here because they lay the foundation, they rebuild the altar, they start worship up again. Um, but then the prophet Haggai, who is set a little bit after this, he comes to them and says, hey, what's going on here? We have the foundation for the temple. We did that. And then y'all went and worked on your own houses and you built your own house and you have fine wood paneling and the house of God is not done. Not done. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have a roof. Come on, y'all. Um, and so it seems like there was that sort of thing where, where because, you know, there, there's this excitement at the laying of the foundation, but there's also this weeping. And so it leads to just a standstill. Standstill. Yeah. It standstill. does nothing. And so they don't move forward yeah. because they're looking backwards. It's not as good as it was before. And so they just don't do anything. Yeah. The only other interesting thing I think here is uh, we have a sense of who we think may be, quote unquote, in the wrong mm -hmm. here. But we're not actually told who that is. Mm-hmm. Classic um, scripture, yeah. You know, for us, because of because of where we are and because of our um, our uh, ideals and drive and our own thought processes, we're going. We are going with well. These people that are weeping, they're the ones that aren't getting with the program. But we don't actually know that. Good point. Um, which I just think is again. I think it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that there's. Um, we need to think, we need to really meditate on that too. Mm -hmm. um, that also perhaps they have a point in some time, in some cases. Um, you know, I am, I am not one to hold on to tradition for tradition's sake, mm -hmm. unless it is what you eat on Christmas Eve, because, you know, those are rules I didn't make and you just have to follow them. Um, but that, that whole bit is in there for a reason. And mm -hmm. We don't know. We don't know who's actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's a, a Vorlon phrase that the truth is a three bladed sword. There's one opinion, the other opinion, and then there's the actual truth. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, we're, we're being presented 
two sort of counter narratives and the truth is probably somewhere in between those yeah that it's both um that it is great look we've we've built this you know we're rebuilding something that has been lost and also it's not as good yeah and we can rebuild and move forward while acknowledging the past mm -hmm. and um weeping with those who have missed something but helping them to move forward mm -hmm. i think is probably the without criticizing them which is difficult mm -hmm. at times um because it does become it can become so paralyzing mm -hmm. um that it can become so frustrating but to come alongside those weeping people and involve them in the process rather than having removed them would we be looking at a different outcome mm. you know um i mean it is so frustrating when roadblocks just keep getting put up against whatever you're trying to do um and i would you know if i were the people building this and I did all that work and then all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of people crying and telling me I did it wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'd be ticked and I'd be like, fine, you do it. I'm mm -hmm. gonna go build my own house. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I get that. I can totally see how that's where this went. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, you started out by saying, no, y'all can't be a part of this. You can't come play. Um, so why do you think they would be rejoicing with you? You've excluded them. Yeah. So. And, you know, there's perhaps also there is blame to go around all to all parties. And how do we avoid making those same mistakes mm -hmm. while still trying to move forward, while still trying to rebuild those foundations, while trying to strengthen those foundations? Um, how do we move everyone forward, even if some of them are kicking and screaming? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that definitely has some uh, some relevance. Yeah. As we are rebuilding an institution, as we are rebuilding, um, shifting into kind of a new phase of the church in general. Um, those are those are tough words to hear. Yeah. Um, and part of the the complexity to scripture. And and this this book in particular, that it's not straightforward. Mm -hmm. You can see the the good things that these leaders are doing, and you also see the like real bonehead things that they're doing. Um, and you can critique critique it and say, okay, you know, yeah, how do we move forward from this? How do we recognize? how they have messed up and and what do we do with that um and also recognizing that we are looking back on this with our own mm -hmm. um with 20 also with just 2020 vision sure um you know i i i often think we give the apostles um really hard time mm -hmm. yeah and the disciples for not understanding why don't they just get it well you know, if you're hearing this kind of stuff for the first time, you may not have gotten it either. <laughs> we can be real critical of other people. Yeah. Um, Pretty early prayer. I just read the uh, the Mark like uh, after the transfiguration, Jesus coming down. And he's like, okay, so 
just so you know, the son of man has to die and then will rise again. Don't tell anybody. And they're like, uh, okay. Like, what is, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, yeah. And our immediate reaction is, well, it's Jesus. Why don't you Duh. just them? Yeah. Right. Um, cause we know where the story goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there's also a little bit of that in there that we, you know, can look at it and just be like, well, they should have done it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Rather than taking the actual, perhaps one of the actual lessons, which is that we all need to come together to work towards these things. And y- you may be making a bonehead move much like they did mm-hmm. in excluding somebody without realizing it um, while thinking you're doing the right thing because mm-hmm. um, you don't want somebody in the room that is difficult. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want somebody in the room whose opinion is going to derail the conversation. You know, um, I mean, there there are definitely things in here that I'm feeling a little bit like, well, I don't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. Makes my life harder. (laughs) Makes things more difficult. And it's maybe it's also the um, what do you do when you're on the other side of that? there's there's some stalling there's some um we especially see that in the ezra section where there's this sort of edict that oh y'all y'all have been marrying foreign wives we shouldn't do that um and so there's this sort of like pronouncement everybody needs to if you have married someone who is not part of these tribes you have to get a divorce um and there is like local stalling and like, oh, well, you know, maybe and, and hem hawing and that sort of like, um, which there are some who have, who go back to this and recognize some very similar um, sort of local resistance to like colonization looks very similar. This pronouncement of you have to do it this way yeah. and local minority of uh, sort of communities will respond in ways that sort of like, um assert some authority in a situation where they haven't really been given it um and then you see at the end of that sort of section that there is there are these sort of divorces that happen but they're only priestly families that there's this very much it rather than this blanket thing where everybody does this there's a list of these people and it's not it can't possibly be all the all of those marriages, but it's these ones in this particular community. Um, so there's there's part of it that maybe it's the discerning where we are, right? Are we the are we the one who works real hard on the foundation um, and is not necessarily taking people's thoughts into account? Yeah. Are we the ones who are weeping because they're not doing it right? Yeah. Um, and are just that, right? Just weeping and not participating in it. Yeah. Because um, both of those positions lead the wrong. Oh, way. absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's neither of those things are going to accomplish the the work of God mm-hmm. because they're both going in in the wrong in the wrong direction. Even if they're both working towards the same goal right. and working to any of that, they they think that they are both working towards God's will. Mm-hmm if it's an active exclusion of either, either party, it mm-hmm. is not embracing. 
And that's part of this sort of this second temple literature sort of theme is actually, interestingly enough, really about, again, how do we come together as a people? We may not be a kingdom anymore. We may, may not have that infrastructure but how do we come together as a people? And part of that is to bring together all of these different sort of strains. How do we bring together all of these different communities? Um, and that's kind of what it, what the goal is of this. Um, that interview, I was just listening to some really interesting research from a, a Jewish theologian, um, biblical scholar, talking about sort of the, sort of two different ends of things from Israel as a nation and from Judah as a nation and how uh, dissimilar they were in many ways and how our scripture is this sort of beautiful blending of both Um, and this simultaneous sort of like holding up of a Davidic sort of kingdom sort of thought, but also this theology that says, no, 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 it wasn't actually about David. It was about God. God brought us together. God gave us liberty. Yeah. Um, and and part of that being, well, let's, let's just come together. Let's be these people. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Lots of stuff to, um, to focus on. So if I were preaching some, some sort of sermon threads, Depends on how many uh, toes I want to step on. Um, but definitely it would be a kind of what is your focus? Um, is your focus backwards to the ways things used to be? Um, or is your focus Also, and thank you for your correction, right? Is your focus just change or just sort of doing what you think you need to be doing? Uh, is, there, is there a third way? Is there a way to, to focus on, well, what is God calling us to? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't... <laughs> Well, this is oh, an. I don't have to do a kid sermon on this one. This is an, um, an easy uh, children's sermon text. The Old Testament is rough, guys. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff, but uh, it is not as easy for children. Um, I mean, where I'd want to end would be something about co- learning compromise, mm. perhaps, um, or maybe not. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure I genuinely know. I, 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 I think where I would end up sitting is somewhere with this last bit about um, joy and sorrow at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe being conscious of the things that we do might affect people differently. Um, yeah, maybe it would be something in there about thinking about our actions and how they not only affect us, but how they affect others 
And if we're thinking about the ways in which they affect others, is there a way that we can do what we feel God is calling us to do in a way that also shows God's love and brings people together as opposed to railroading over them? Yeah. Um, I don't know how that would translate into a kid's sermon, mm -hmm. but I think that's what I'm like, I would be reading out of this text. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so we might we might be starting with something about compromise and then um yeah, I don't I, yeah, I don't know. This one's a This is this is the a tough children's yeah. sermon one. Uh you I might mean, it's also It's not Cain and Abel, but <laughs> you might could also do um like the the Cyrus thing, kind of the the God works through history. Mm, yeah. kind of thing. That might be a that might be another place to go, either in a children's sermon or a or a big sermon. Yeah. Um, um, and I think there's all there's also something in here that even when we don't do things exactly the way God would want us to do them, God is good. His mm -hmm. steadfast love endures forever. Um, and to a certain extent, God goes with what we do yeah um like is this the best possible option well maybe not but yeah i'm i'm we're gonna go with as good as but we God can get can right. make good things come yeah. even from our human hands mm -hmm. even when we have not done the things the way that god would have wanted us to do them he can still bring us together we can we can still accomplish something yeah uh so maybe there's something in that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea what my illustrations would be. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, next week uh, is Christmas Eve. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, so we're uh, skipping over the entire rest of the Second Temple period. Um, <laughs> and diving right into Luke. So the morning uh, scripture is... Zechariah's song from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 13, and 14 to 25 uh, for, for bonus content, and then 57 to 80. And then for the evening, there's the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 14, and 15 to 20, if y'all want to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, this, this temple is rebuilt. Uh, these people are under the control of one empire after another um, after the uh, the the Persian Empire is is taken over by Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire which then gets split up into uh, they they get sort of tossed between the uh, Ptolemaic uh, Egyptian sort of side of things and the Seleucid uh, Empire the Seleucids take over that's where you have um, uh, the Maccabees, which is is part of our, our Jewish siblings, are celebrating Hanukkah right now, which is about that, and sort of a, a retaking of the temple, which has been um, uh, just messed up by the the Seleucids, um, and then the the Seleucid Empire is eventually taken over by the Roman Empire, which gives us uh, sort of seats us into that New Testament. Um, 
section where the people are under the, the Roman Empire. There is a similar sort of take as the Persian Empire. We're going to allow you to kind of do your own thing. But they were much more sort of um, uh, intentional about having different sort of leaders in the area that could kind of like keep things under control. So you have um, sort of local local leaders like Herod, who, you know, uh, does does his thing. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, but then local like true Roman governors like Pilate eventually. Um, so we'll be in Luke for a little bit, and then we actually dive into after Christmas, Mark, and actually really focus on Mark for this year. Yeah. But seeing as how Mark doesn't have a birth narrative at all, and nobody's going to get away with not reading a nativity uh, story on Christmas, um, we, we've we got those. Yeah, talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right. That one. <laughs> that would but, be uh, this week is our kids christmas yeah pageant so that is where we are yeah so that's where we're doing putting all of our energy um are we planning on are we going to do one podcast next week just yeah i think on? we'll do one with with kind of look at all yeah. three of those okay. so yeah well thank you for joining us um as you saw maybe not last week I'm working on a kind of combination of podcast and the blog thing. So some more information. So I'll get that out uh, soon, though. I may just put this out and then do the blog bit. Hopefully. Anyways, thanks for joining us. Um, I hope you are having a great uh, and fruitful and meaningful advent. And yeah, I guess we'll see you later. Yep. Bye. Bye.